I am a sick man. I am a spiteful man. I am an unattractive man. I believe my liver is diseased. I felt them positively swarming in me, these opposite elements. They drove me to convulsions and sickened me. I did not know how to become anything, neither spiteful nor kind, neither a hero nor an insect. Now I am living out my life in my corner, taunting myself with the spiteful and useless consolation. Even if I had had magnanimity, I should only have had more suffering from the sense of its uselessness. It is only the fool who becomes anything. The whole principle falls into dust. Tom and Steve listen to the spirit of the age. All they hear is notes from Blunderground. Welcome back to episode number two of Notes from Blunderground. My name is Tom and my wingman, Steve. How you doing? Hey. Wow, Steve. So uh, today, uh, we want to talk a little bit about the midterm elections. Yep. All right. So uh, we're not going to dive into the particulars. I'm sure you all know uh, by now uh, what happened or what didn't happen. Uh, we all thought there would be a big red wave and there would be a, a, a tsunami of uh, conservative thought uh, taking over the country. I'm not sure we had a red high tide. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty interesting how, how things kind of came about. Uh, a lot of it was because uh, I, I, the Republicans did win the popular vote. They did win uh, the so-called popular vote when you take all the votes and you just add them up around the country. Yeah, I think they did win. I think it was pretty significant. It was by like fourteen percent. Yeah, but well, we could argue that, and then we could sound like the Democrats, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it doesn't necessarily it doesn't really work that way. Right. I mean, you do have different mm-hmm. different districts. Mm-hmm. Yep. In a lot of ways, the Republicans uh, became they became uh, victims in some ways of the gerrymandering that they did uh, in the past couple of years. <laughs> Uh, see the it's thing. Ironic. About, well, it is ironic. See the thing about gerrymandering is that you know you give up you give up certain areas where you're going to lose, and so you say oh, we're going to lose these anyway. So you know, you just get crushed in those areas, but then in the other areas, you usually end up winning about fifty five to forty five percent, and so even if there's a swing and and you don't do as well as you think you do, kind of protects you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It ends up being like a buffer. Right. And so what happened in this election was a lot of those areas ended up going Democrat because there was just a more of a swell than than they anticipated you know that wall didn't quite hold i don't want to go off on, on like any sort of tangent or whatever try to we're trying to make this uh, sort of succinct and quick or whatever but um yeah. how how do we know that it went democrat how can you have any trust in this stuff honestly yeah i mean that's really the problem and and i i think where you were really going to get into a uh, an issue here is People would like to argue the point of whether there was fraud or not fraud. And really, that's, at least to me, that's not the point. All right. The point is do people believe there's fraud? I mean, right? Because if, if, yeah, yeah, it's really what people believe. If people people lose faith in an institution, 
uh, then that's where it really matters. I mean, whether or not there was or not, because you know, me just being a simple podcast host, right, sitting in a studio, but you know, with you, yeah, I, I don't have, I, I can't sit here and say, okay, well, there's certainly fraud, or there certainly was fraud. No, you're right. And and a guy named Spider Miner, he he actually had a good tweet that alludes to what you're saying. He said, "Good morning, everyone. Vote today, not because you expect it to matter." but to force them to be ever more blatant about the fraud and response. Yeah, see, boy, what a yeah. what a note from Blunderground that is. Right. Yeah, I, boy, I tell you, that is a great, that's a great tweet right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is so illustrative. I mean, you, who was that by again, you said? Calls himself Spider Miner. Spider Miner. Okay, Spider Miner. This is, it is, all right, so. He's just not a, a blue check person. No, he's not a blue. So he doesn't matter. No, he's not a blue check. <laughs> no, that's. I don't think he would want to be a blue check. You see, it's really it's the blue checks versus the mob. You can't right? say that if you're a blue check. Well, not if you're if you're a blue check. <laughs> see, it, it really is, and just like in in our last episode, if you listen to Notes from Blunderground episode one, then you know that that the society, the stratification that you see, is the uh, is the blue checks versus the mob, and so spider. Uh, what was his name? Spider Miner. Ah, Spider Miner. So Spider Miner is indicative of a very typical young male. And and this is where we're going to kind of go into demographics a little bit here. So the big news coming out of the midterms, and quite frankly, what I want to talk about, because to me, that this is a, a, a big factor. It, it really blew my mind when this came out, is... The demographics of the below 30 voter, all right? So the voters that are below the age of 30, okay, young unmarried females below the age of 30 came out in droves and right. largely voted Democratic. Yeah, 70%, I believe. Yeah, I think it was 70%. Yep. And um, young unmarried men below the age of 30 did not come out. Okay, hmm. they, they were expected to come out, and they did not. Hmm. And those are... Um, and uh, that is also a, a fairly large group. Uh, that is a, a group that can counteract the other group. It's just that one group showed up and the other group didn't. Yeah. And I think that what you know, I, I, people are kind of pointing this out everywhere you look, but no one's really pointing to the underlying factors. Right? And, and so you have, there is that demographic, those young men of a young unmarried man below the age of 30, and I, I think uh, you and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, I believe the term that I used was uh, was post-politic, right? It's post-politics. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah. The, um, you know, I, I think when, um, you remember in the last episode, in episode number one, uh, we, we were talking about Trump in 2016. And I mentioned when he went on the Alex Jones show. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he came out and he said, and, and you know, him being on there was, was, was surreal. But... Yeah. Having him say what he said, okay? He got on the microphone. He said, he said, I want you and your supporters to know that I will not let you down. All right? Yeah. Like, this was a caring call. That changed the election. When that happened, I mean, everything changed. I mean, like, it, it, I think, I mean, Hillary should have, she should have fell out of her bed at that point in time. But she probably didn't. Because when that happened, it was, there was a whole groundswell of unactivated, unmotivated voters. All right? Young male voters. Right. Who... Had have kind of been formulating and percolating in this kind of subculture, right? Yeah, and, and kind of away from normal society, mm-hmm. and, and very glad for it, by the way. Yeah, and, and they really weren't mobilized, very decentralized, and really not mobilized. And when I saw that, I thought, man, 
those that's going to be a, mo- a mobilized voter block in 2016, and that's going to change everything. And it did. I mean, I think it really got Trump elected. Oh, it did, absolutely, because you want to talk about firing up your base, right? That's what everybody talks about. It's yeah. kind of like a buzz term, you know? Right. But if you think about it, yeah, that right there, they were like, hey, this person, this person is going to speak for us. He's yeah. going to bring our truth to power. Right. And that's what got them motivated to get out there because who's going to get motivated about like your, you know, your average just Republican guy, like Ron DeSantis, right? Good dude. I don't see a lot of people coming out for him. I think he's popular in Florida because it's Florida. And because you look at the demographic there, you got 26 some odd percent, I believe are mm. Hispanic. Sure. Now it surprises some people with that much, his, that much of a Hispanic population yeah. that it would go so deep red. But what, what a lot of people don't understand is a stereotype about Hispanics just, you know, always voting Democrat. That's not true. The naturalized Hispanics, if you talk yeah. to them by and large, they despise the Hispanics that are coming over undocumented. Right. Okay. They 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 hate them. <laughs> Seriously, because okay. they they it gives them a bad name. If you talk to any of these sure. people, this is this is true down in Houston where I live for a while. Interesting. It's okay. the same thing. They very, can't stand them. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, this, it gives them a bad name. It gives them a bad name, and it, it it creates more scrutiny on them, and they've worked very hard to become naturalized citizens. Yeah, certainly. And they don't want these people taken away from what they've accomplished right. any more than any other American does. Yeah, sure, sure. No, I, I certainly see it. I certainly see it. Uh, you know, it, it one, thing that, one thing that Trump did in 2016 that allowed him to uh, succeed, mm-hmm. that, that I don't know if I don't see it yet, okay? So to me... Just looking at it with my eyes and yeah. listening to it with my ears, my eyes tell me that Trump hasn't done this in a while successfully. And so I, my eyes tell me he's lost it. And I don't see it coming back, but I could be wrong. And I will say that if he does this again, he'll probably, he'll probably, he'll probably gather enough support and probably win. All right. But what Trump did masterly in 2016 was he, he had a way of mobilizing different groups against other groups for his own benefit. Now, whether or not you want to call this political brilliance or whether you want to call it, um, you know, using, you know, using the little guy, uh, it, I, I don't really have a comment on that. But I will say that it was tremendously effective and it, it was it was amazing to watch. Probably the best example was the uh, the comment. You remember the Access Hollywood? Uh, uh, I Not specifically. No, I don't. He okay, said that so was much the, stuff. It's hard yeah, to isolate. No, you know? <laughs> it, right, right, right. No, and that was when the uh, he was talking to uh, was talking to that Bush character. And he was talking about grab him. You know, he's talking. Oh, about, OK. That one. Yeah. You remember? Okay, that I didn't one? know where that came from. Yeah. yeah no, that could, forget. OK. Sure, yes. OK. That came from the Access Hollywood. Right. All right. That's and so. Answer. And this was and, and this was masterful. It really was. It was masterful. And to see it happen in real time was unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's similar stuff happening today on Twitter, to be honest. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But. The uh, maybe in a different podcast, but it is fascinating because to watch that happen in real time. Okay, so you basically you have three groups. All right, so you have three groups. You have you have number one would be the Hollywood group. Right, so this would be so this would be this would be the Hollywood group. The Hollywood group is the group on the inside. So this is the group that's you know everybody's grabbing each other. Right. And so everyone, this, this is the group that's doing the activity. Okay? <laughs> okay. So this is the group that's doing the activity. So you have, you have a lot of sexual excess and you have a lot of hookup culture and everybody's grabbing each other Got by, it. everyone's grabbing each other right where Tracking. it counts. Tracking. And, it, you know, and everyone, just like a bordello. Okay. 
Then you have group number two, and Trump knows this, okay? He's not necessarily part of it, but he knows it, all right? Because he's on the inside, because he's on TV. Because he's part of group one? And because he's part, well, because he's part of, he's Trump. He's part of all the groups. <laughs> and so then the on, on the other side, then you have the institutional media class, okay? So the gatekeeping class. The gatekeeping class knows this happens, but okay, but they, they can't, they have to regulate but they have to regulate the way that it's it's viewed, sure. right? right? So yeah. women women are usually a protected class in this, and then the males are uh, are not a protected class, and so um, there's a, so they kind of regulate it, and so what it is, so it's perfectly fine as long as it happens to the benefit of the gatekeeping class, and so <laughs> yeah. it's kind of monitored, right? This the, the oh, gatekeeping yeah. class kind of they they're kind of like the, the handlers of the process, and then you have the little guy, right? So the little guy knows it happens, doesn't really care about the gatekeeping class and 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 he's you know this is the this is the guy with the bud light sitting in his living room right and so when they hear it they, they just assume sure it happens and whether or not they're appalled or whether or not they're jealous or whether or not they're condemning or they're accepting it, it doesn't really matter okay that they're they're in this lower class where you might as well be talking about people you know from mars they've lived in this they've with this at arm's length mm-hmm. and so trump comes along and so when it all happens Trump, when when this all happens, okay, and this all gets it all gets leaked and all comes out, then you have the the institutional class who are saying, "Whoa, Trump said something that's unacceptable because it's bad for women," right? And then you have the Hollywood class, which have all this fake outrage, right? Because they know that what they're supposed to say for the gatekeeping class is like play acting, mm. and yet they know what they're doing. And then you have the little guy, and the little guy is like, yeah, we know that Hollywood screams about things they don't believe, yeah. you know, because they're actors, right? I mean, that's what you expect when you get out of Hollywood, right? Like, <laughs> I, I don't really believe anybody in Hollywood. They're, that's what they get paid to do is act. So, <laughs> yeah. and then also we have, we know that this stuff happens all the time. I mean, the Weinstein and the Me Too and, and all this other stuff. So uh, it's not like it surprises anybody, right? Yeah. I mean, people don't go, I mean, you know, people don't go to Hollywood, you know, people don't run away from home at 16 and go to Hollywood to, you know, sign up for the rosary and the Catholic Church and that whole thing. Yeah, you know? sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's not what they're doing. So, you know, so anyhow, when it all comes out, you have all three, you have one class, which is like, okay, we're the gatekeepers. We're the ones that tell you what to think. And this means that you need to be outraged. And then we have the fake people who are, have fake outrage because they're the ones doing it. And then you have the little guy who are like, man, you know, the only sensible thing to do in this situation is if you're Trump, the only sensible thing to do is to probably do what he, you know, to do what he said. And then for the little guy, they're like, yeah, we're going to vote for the guy who's authentic. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, you know, because it was it wasn't planned. It wasn't planted. It was something that was released afterward. And uh, everybody agrees. I mean, it's right. I, I, it's just it's one of those things like. Everyone says, oh, it's an outrage because uh, it's an outrage for Trump because Trump is saying all these things about these poor women, right? Well, uh, well, I'm sorry, but the video clearly shows the, the soap opera star comes in, right? I don't know her name, but she's a soap opera star. And she grabs Trump by the arm and she grabs Billy Bush by the arm and she's walking around and the hips are swaying. And I mean, she's got the bedroom eyes and she's throwing out every sexual sin- uh, signal that you could possibly think of. And so she's throwing him out there. And then not only that, but when Trump says it, Billy, Billy Bush agrees with him. Billy Bush says, yeah, I know. It's, it's totally crazy. It's insane. Right? That's what he, that was his response. So everybody's in on the joke except for the little guy. And when Trump says it, you know, everyone's like, oh, now we're going to be in on the joke. So anyhow, Trump plays off groups like that. And he does it masterfully. And if he does it again, he'll win. But I don't know. I don't see it, man. It's been a long time since he's done something like that. I, I don't know that the thought runs that deep. Trump's uh, 
old guy. He can't really teach an old dog new tricks. He's been a businessman long, long time. He's been a billionaire long, long time. He's used to getting his way. Now, I know they have campaign managers, right? But I think Trump's campaign manager did little more than keep him sort of on the rails, so to speak. I think everything else was he's a master manipulator. He knows how to get things done. He knows yeah. what words to say. Right. And you combine that with being a billionaire and just not he, – he doesn't care what he says. Yeah, no, I think that there's a lot in terms of his bravado and his confidence because he doesn't he doesn't need the position. You know, he can kind of come at it with confidence. Right. And so he doesn't have to worry. He doesn't have to worry. He doesn't have anything on the line. No, nothing. And that was one thing that Trump did in 2016 was he exposed other politicians as yeah. people who have something to lose. Right. Right. And and, and nobody wants to nobody wants to see that, right? Mm. Nobody wants to look up on a stage and say, "Well, all these guys have something to lose. That's why they look kind of nervous." Yeah, right? the questions are motives at that point. Yeah, exactly. And so Trump would waltz out there, and he's got nothing to lose. I mean, he's he's, he's got nothing. He's had nothing right. to lose. Talking about that third uh, demographic you were talking about, which I think we fall into. Yeah. Um. There was a tweet uh, by another non-blue check. I'm not even going to take a stab at their first name, but last name McIntyre. Sure. A oh, large. Oh, Aaron McIntyre. Sure, that one. There you go. Love that guy. Okay. Former journalist. Well, he's not a blue check mark, so. No, I don't think so. He's not a journalist anymore. (laughs) (laughs) He's not a journalist anymore. A large number of people are willing to accept a much worse standard of living if it means being artificially elevated in status over people they hate. It's the spiritual core of communism. Now, I think he was referring to the blue check thing Mm, here. Right. But this isn't really far from the thought of the elections itself. Wow, that's a really profound point. I I don't I don't think it, that they are. And there's there was another one. Um, let me see if I can find this thing. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a response to the tweet from uh, Oren McIntyre. Ah, yes. Yeah, uh, where he's talking about the spiritual core of communism there. Yeah. And if you look down, somebody said, "Core misunderstanding of libertarians: people are not motivated primarily." By being absolutely better off, they're motivated by status. People in general would rather be an executive in hell than be a janitor in heaven. Mm. Boy, is that true. Boy. They yeah. they just want their power here. They want it right now. Right. They yep. just want to be in charge. It's the coolest thing ever to them. Yep. You know, and they don't ever, doesn't matter where it is, yeah. want to be... You know, some low low guy on the totem pole. Boy, you got it. They want their status. You know, and they do. It, it's there really is. There's a it, we in the West in the modern age have been drowning in status envy for quite a while, and it, it is when you when you have an objective standard, mm-hmm. right, and and everything is objective, then being the low man on the totem pole is okay. You have your part in the order, right? I mean, the Apostle Paul talks about the body, right, and he says right. God esteems the 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 small insignificant parts. Yep. Right. Like right. Those are the parts that get esteemed. They're more comely. Yes. Right. Yes. yes. Exactly. And so, uh, but when you are in a relative society, and you have relative values, then that's where power dynamics comes into play. Right. And remember, power in power dynamics, as long as the right people are in power at the right time in the right place with the right intentions, then the balances actually counterbalance a previous injustice. Yeah. So that's supposed to work. Well, <laughs> so anyhow, because the object, it's all subjective. It's not objective. Mm-hmm. 
And because of that, you're always you're con- you're constantly working with th- this whole idea of power, and your whole you're always working uh, with this idea of narrative. Mm-hmm. And so you can change the narrative. I mean, when you see it, uh, it, it'll drive you mad. It drives me mad. Notes from Blunderground. I mean, I hear it all the time. I mean, the narrative changes one day, and then the marching orders come out, and then all of a sudden they change. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and they and you know what the that blue check class boy yeah. they don't they don't like it when we mess with them when people were able to get their blue checks like yeah here you know here's another guy did Twitter blue just cost uh, Ellie Lilly billions yes and there's like a couple screenshots of like how the yes. stock just just dropped it's mm-hmm. like oh you don't like it when we play with your money do you yeah no Not and that's funny. exactly right and what we saw in the midterms is young men under the age of thirty that are doing this with government. All right, they're mm-hmm. doing this with government, and it is true, and it is an issue, and you're going to hear about it. You may not hear about it this week. You may not hear about it next year, but at some point in time, it has to get spoken about because it is a fundamental structural issue. Is Okay, like we talked about Trump when he was on Alex Jones. He gave people hope, all right? Not not necessarily hope. and, and not. I'm not talking about he gave those people hope. What he did was he allowed those people to engage what they view as hope. And so they were able to move forward, okay? That most young men under 30 have given up on the system, okay? Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, what yeah. they have done is they have now removed themselves, okay? So they have stepped away. Yep. So they're no longer engaged. This is why, you know, all these, uh, you know, get out the vote. And every every two years, it's, oh, make sure we get out the vote and make sure that you get out to vote and, and all. And for the, for the Democrats, that's still... Uh, an effective strategy, but for the Republicans, for uh, the conservatives, it's really not any any longer because we have an entire demographic of people who are committed to effectively burning the system down. Yeah, now, you know, I was reading about that, and I was wondering, I was like, is that like the whole build back better? Was that the intention? We got to destroy it first before we can build it back better. Uh, right, right, yeah, you no. know. I mean, it really does. It's something that is quantifiable, but a lot of people don't like to talk about it because, quite frankly, it's just really disturbing. Uh, and it comes down to males versus females. Uh, and it comes it comes down to males versus females. You know, I think what we're going to be doing uh, sooner than later. I'm not sure if we'll do it next. Maybe we will. Uh, but uh, sooner than later, I, I, we're going to have an episode on the boy crisis and then on, on the male crisis. And we'll probably have multiple episodes on that as we go because there's so many different angles that we can we can talk about that. But I think it's important to talk about it, especially in this context, uh, in terms of the midterms and in terms of how important it is now. Uh, because we have – okay, so let's take a look at the young ladies, all right? Okay. So this is pretty pretty incredible. Let me throw some stuff at you, Okay. So, young, single, unmarried women voted Democrat by a rate of 68 to 31. So, out of every 100 voters, 68 unmarried women uh, below the age of 30 were, uh, were Democratic, and then 31 were Republican. Mm-hmm. That's bigger than Asian American women. It's bigger than Hispa- Hispanic American women. And if you take those unmarried women and you combine them with divorced women— and women who are widows, it constitutes the largest voting block in all of America. Oh, wow. All right, so there's no voting block. There's no no demographic that can outvote that. Mm. So when, so... Scary. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> and, and here's the thing, okay? So guys are not stupid, all right? And so a lot of guys have figured this out, 
And I, I, in a lot of different places, you see this being spread out uh, as a, a basically a structural belief amongst young men that single women control the system. And, uh, and so the narrative has always been that structurally um, that the system is designed for single women and against single men. Uh, now, without getting into the particulars of each issue, which we'll do a bit later, uh, maybe in another episode, but to look at these, okay, so you can make an argument against specific aspects that it that it's not as it's overblown or it's not as uh, as significant as stated, mm. but get down to the gut instinct, all right? Just just look at your gut, all right? Most guys, okay, for a woman, a woman has a number of choices, and so for her, her female script is multifaceted, and there are structures in place for each aspect, okay? So if a woman says, well, I want to be a a homemaker, well, she can make that choice, and there are supports that are put in place so that she can do that, okay? Uh, And then uh, if a woman says, well, I want to be CEO of a big major corporation, right? Well, she can go to school and do that, and there are supports in place for her to do that. And she can make any choice. I mean, there are a wide variety of different choices that she can make, and there will be structural supports for each one of her choices. So how about for a a man, a young man? A young man, uh, does he, what what choices does he have vocationally, right? Usually it's it's very little. Uh, And and in terms of uh, of an actual script, okay, a path, all right? So the male path was all, and we'll talk about this a bit bit more in detail, but the male path was always based on three aspects, all right? Three aspects. Number one, your ability, number one, your ability to procreate, your ability to impregnate a woman, and uh, and to ha- and to uh, foster offspring, so you have to impregnate the woman, and your offspring has to look like you. Okay, and so number two would be to protect uh, dependents. Uh, this would be your spouse. So uh, you know, uh, not only uh, not only do having a child uh, does it uh, prove that you have a sexual success, but also the fact that you are able to protect your spouse through that nine month period when she's the most vulnerable so that she could give birth healthy is also a a signal. And so you need to protect your spouse. And then number three is you need to provide, provide for your family, for your clan. Okay. So that you have provision. And then the wife takes on this this role with this. The wife is the one that is relational. And so uh, she's the one that signals to other families and other women about the provision of the man. So a man would have a very specific social script, a very specific way forward. So they, they know what to do. Well, I know I need to get the girl. Okay, young men get the girl. It's pretty straightforward. And then uh, they need to protect the girl. So they need to be able to have uh, the lift weights, uh, get you know become strong. Uh, and then they need to provide for their family, get a good job. So those are three aspects. And men no longer have this, okay? So this has all been now supplanted. So uh, we have the... Uh, so provision now, men have been replaced by the state in terms of providing for, for, for women. And, in many uh, cases, yeah. Yeah, in many cases, and for providing for families. Mm-hmm. So now the, uh, primary ca- the, uh, the primary care person for the, um, the primary care person for a family is the state, uh, not, the, uh, not the individual, not the man. Uh, what we've done is we've, um, in terms of uh, protecting, what we've done is through, we've advocated the protection role. Uh, and we've done that through uh, no-fault divorce laws. 
So uh, what we've done is now we've allowed women to basically dispose of a man uh, or a man to dispose of a woman at their convenience. And so this disincentivizes men to enter into a long-term relationship where they're considered to be protecting. And there there was a woman, I, I think it might have been on Facebook, she did like a two or three minute video on that exact uh, subject. And she yeah. was coming out basically against women. It was, it was really refreshing to hear this um, because she was saying that you know, women want to get on guys these days because, oh, well, they don't want to get married. They don't want to commit and all this stuff. Yeah. She said, let's talk about why they don't want to. Right. What is in it for them? Right. She's like, okay, so they get married to us and then we can take their kid from them yep. and they can pay us to do it. Right. And they're expected to go to work all day while we get to sit home. Yep. You know, and then if we, we can divorce them, like you said, at will... And they can pay us to sit home and we can take all their money. Like, what? what is, what are they getting out of this? And then right now we have this, you know, feminist movement where women are getting away from their traditional roles of, mm-hmm. you know, the whole, you know, the man goes to work nine to five and then, you know, there's dinner waiting on the table for him when he gets home and, yeah. and stuff like that. We've, we've gotten away from that norm. Mm-hmm. So what incentive does a man have? to settle down with a woman yeah why right you know i it i don't know when prenuptial agreements became a thing but it wouldn't surprise me if it was around uh the you know the time of the sexual revolution or whatever yeah you know there was a i mean really uh yeah uh, as far as like a a prenup but even these days and i'm not sure exactly what the court laws are i know that they do vary Mm -hmm. but even prenups the women can get out of that they can't there's really no such thing as an ironclad prenup Right. Well, it's civil law. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Civil law. Yeah. So the judge has wide discretion. Sure. Okay. Yeah. But it was just a woman actually came out and just laid it bare and was like, we need to step up our game. Right. No, I know it. And uh, no, it's really true. And uh, so there's a lot of great books on this subject. We might do one in uh, Blunderground Railroad. Uh, Maybe not soon, but uh, Men on Strike is a great one uh, Mm. that uh, we'll have to take a look at. There are some other ones as well. Uh, But there's, um, we have a... so anyhow, the men don't have the script. So men will say, men will say, well, you know, I want to get the girl. Well, they think, wait, why well, want to get the girl? Why do I want to do that? Right? They're not incentivized for, for that oh. uh, because of divorce laws, and then they uh, uh, want to have a family, right? But then uh, also. Um, they look at uh, they look at the way that the states subsidize the family, and so there's shame in that. Absolutely, All right? Absolutely. So uh, we really men are not incentivized towards this, and it. it I'm really at this point. I'm really not arguing right and wrong. I mean, I think I could, but at this point, I'm it's not. It's just a facts argument at this point. Yeah, it really is. It's just a facts argument. And to look at women is where women are incentivized to make decisions and have supports for those decisions. Men don't even have a social script to follow. Right. Okay. All right. They 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 don't even have that. And so, and it's actually really disturbing once you really see it. Once you once you could see it, it's hard to unsee it because oh, yeah, absolutely yeah. because the aspect of the aspect of a male and female relationship that, that that the state has not supplanted and can't control at least not yet is the role of fatherhood. And so that's yeah. what you're going to, you're going to be hearing that. That's what you're going to be hearing uh, in the next uh, the many years that come after. Uh, we're going to be hearing an increased 
focus on fatherhood. And that's very telling because the state must do this. They've already supplanted the man's role as a protector, and they've already supplanted the man's role as a provider. So therefore, fatherhood is not only is it the only one left, but it's the single most difficult one for the state to uh, to supplant. So that's what you're going to be hearing because it's the only one that's left. Uh, but uh, what you'll have is uh, you'll have this discussion, okay? So for men that, that look at it, they have no script. And even if they decide that they're going to do it anyway, they say, well, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get the girl and do it all anyway, okay? It's kind of like, because, you know, you and I homeschool, right? Yeah, yeah. So we do a double we do a double payment, okay, right? So there's a, I remember, you know, you pay your taxes to pay for the public school, and then you got to pay again for your own kids. There was a time. Uh, right, there was a time. And, you know, every year my, my wife and I would sit in bed and I'd say, boy, sweetheart, doesn't it feel great to pay twice, you know? And we would do this all the time. Uh, so... But then again, there is this aspect, okay? So for men who are going through this script, they are doing it at a kind of in a tax way. Like it's like a tax or a double tax, all right? So the people that are incre- are doing this, okay, are increasingly have, they have another reason for doing it, all right? So they're either doing it either because, number one, uh, number one, they're religious, Okay, and they have uh, they have a, a religious reason to do it for uh, uh, for their belief. Yeah, or number two, they're uh, they're privileged socioeconomically. Right. All right. So they're they're upper middle class. You know, they're usually white, and so they usually have institutional wealth. And so why not? Right. Right. It only makes it easier for them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. So uh, in this particular situation, uh, they would have uh, uh, you have, and, and you'll notice that too going along in the uh, in the years that the poorer you are. And the more of a minority status that you have, and the uh, the less religious you are, then the the uh, the less likely it is that you will marry or that you will be involved in that. Well, the easier it is to give up on that idea, yeah, because because it's un- that idea is unattainable at that point. Yeah, it does. It becomes unattainable. And as a man, when you cannot attain that, when you cannot, you can't invest in your identity. Okay, so I always say this to people, you know, right? Like, yeah. listen, a guy doesn't need to be king of the whole world, okay? But he does need to be king of his home, all right? Absolutely. You know? All right? Like, when you're on a guy's home, like, I don't mess around with people's homes, right? I mean, it's like the king in the castle, okay? That's, that's how it works. So, right, so you don't, so when man, when you block that from a man, all right, and you, then you're not going to be able to incentivize them, all right? It doesn't matter what party you're from. It doesn't matter what your platform is. You're not going to be able to incentivize them. No, and, and looking and breaking these issues down yeah, and looking at the the root causes of why we see what we see out there in Blunderground is yeah. that's the whole point of this show because everybody just kind of lives in it and just, yeah. take, and just, just takes it. You know what I mean? We there's a tweet here from a guy named Ray Kump. Again, yeah, he's he's a nobody. He's not a blue check guy. There you go. Thanks, Elon. But I'd prefer to receive my blue check the old-fashioned way, getting an entry-level job at a media company and writing blogs about how candy is racist and having 432 followers. I mean, he's just he's being totally sarcastic with that. Yes. And why? He's given up. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. And, and it is, and, and the people have given up, and, and they only are there to mock, right? They're only there to mock, and, and so they're really mocking as the whole thing falls, right? Yeah. So to them, not voting is almost like a mercy, okay? Yeah. Because they can say, well, I could vote my favorite politician in, and I could have them get into office, and then I could have them have to sit there and try to explain as the world burns. Right. No, I'm just going to stay home. The Democrats can stay in there, and as everything goes crazy, we can just say, oh, it's the foolish Democrats, and then when it's all burned down and there's no one there anymore, 
then, you know, those men will say, then we'll be here to be able to, you know, come in and take Pretty much. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, that's, and that's what they're waiting on because the more things change, the more they stay the same and they're sick of seeing that. Right, right. And I'm right there with them. Yeah. You know? Let me take a, let me, uh, let me parlay this here into, uh, I want to, uh, Read a quote. This is yeah. a quote by uh, someone of no small significance, okay? It's the President of the United States. Oh, he's a blue check. Uh, yep, Joe Biden. <laughs> okay. All right, so this is President Joe Biden here. So if you're a man and you're thinking about whether or not you want to be involved in politics, I'm going to read this quote to you, and then I want you to think about how you might feel as a disenfranchised young man. As I said, this is Joe Biden, says, Women in America made their voices heard, man. I said last year one of the most extraordinary things about the Dobbs decision is what was about to challenge American women when the justices said they have they have it in their power to basically say, let's see what they're going to do. Well, guess what, man? Y'all, meaning women, y'all showed up and you beat the hell out of them. Why does <laughs> he talks? Well, he tries to talk like he's a man of the people. You know, that's what he's shooting <laughs> for. All the time, you know, all the time. Oh, my goodness. So he says, okay, so basically he's saying is, is that so – Joe Biden, the president of the United States, is not, number one, he, he is a denier of the nuance of a situation that splits the nation 50-50. Number two, um, he, uh, number two, he openly acknowledges that the woman's right to dispose of a child uh, is, uh, is his stated position. And then uh, number two, uh, number three, uh, talking about uh, how women... And uh, their right to abortion uh, confronted an institution like the Supreme Court. Because remember, the Supreme Court is an institution of government. And Joe Biden says, y'all showed up and beat the hell out of him, man. Right. Well, uh, weren't what was it? Was it Chuck Schumer that uh, yeah, essentially right. threatened the Supreme Court? Right. That's right. Like, how? How, yeah. is a, how is a sitting U.S. senator threatening sitting U.S. Supreme Court justices. Right. And that's perfectly okay. I, I'm going to go back to George Carlin. Yeah. Like, even, like, he called it out and got it right. You know, it's it's almost like, uh, uh, you know, we're supposed to be a government uh, of the people, by the people, and for the people. I mean, yeah. it seems like that would be a good idea right now. Right, it sure does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it sure does. It sure does. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for joining us in Notes from Blunderground. This was Tom and Steve talking about the midterm elections. So stick with us. Go to Facebook. Go to Twitter. Look us up. Notes from Blunderground on Facebook. Notes from Blunderground on Twitter. And Notes from Blunderground on YouTube. Find us. We will be back. And we're going to have this conversation, I think, about the, about the boy crisis. It's going to be very interesting. All right. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you next time. I am a sick man. I am a spiteful man. I am an unattractive man. I believe my liver is diseased. I felt them positively swarming in me. These opposite elements, they drove me to convulsions and sickened me. I did not know how to become anything, neither spiteful nor kind, neither a hero nor an insect. Now I am living out my life in my corner, taunting myself with the spiteful and useless consolation. Even if I had had magnanimity, I should only have had more suffering from the sense of its uselessness. It is only the fool who becomes anything. 
the whole principle falls into dust. Tom and Steve listen to the spirit of the age. All they hear is notes from Blunderground.